Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. We see the syphilitic shrinking obelisk. The white man's wilting dick. of CD game show trolls The smiling lie of the televised hive The witches are watching with their thousand eyes Witches are watching with their thousand eyes We smell rotten teeth that speak beyond belief. A stick inside their skull This is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 42. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Hi, I'm George Takei. You know me as Helmsman Sulu on Star Trek. When I'm not busy going Warp Factor 8, I like to beam down to Lee's Comics in Mountain View and spend a lazy afternoon reading comics classics from Marvel to DC, from Dark Horse to Fantagraphics, and everything in between. So please, spend some time here at Lee's Comics and spend your hard-earned cash. <laughs> The Fun Ideas Podcast is made possible by listeners like you and from Lee's Comics of California, selling you what your mother threw out since 1982, online at leescomics.com. Alvin, the story of Ross Bagdasarian Sr., Liberty Records, Format Films, and The Alvin Show is out. Order your hardback, paperback, and ebook copies today on Amazon and at bearmannermedia.com. The Warren Kremer, TTV Scrapbook, and Monkey's Solo Books are in various stages of completion, so I have taken on a new project that currently has no official title, but it is a history of Mad Magazine. I avoided doing a Mad History book for years, figuring that it had already been done and done well, when I realized that a complete Mad History had never been done since the early 1990s. So, I'm taking it upon myself to start that book. The Kickstarter for the Comedy of Jack Davis and the Comedy of John Severin was wildly successful, and we will be shipping the books and the other goodies during the month of October. Our guest today has been a longtime writer for Mad Magazine and Cracked Magazine. Today, we're going to discuss what has been happening with Mad Magazine lately in recent months. Here he is, Kit Lively. So on the phone today, I have Kit Lively. Uh, hi, how, how are you doing today, Kit? Hey, Mark. How's it going? Very well. And hey, everybody. And uh, as I usually start off, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into uh, writing for humor magazines and all the other things you've done over the years. Okay, sure. Um, well, um, I'm, uh, I'm Kit. Uh, I uh, am currently, um, well, I, I was going to say I'm currently a writer for Mad Magazine, but I guess that's not exactly uh, the, the case anymore, although I guess everything is, is still up in the air. Um, but was a, uh, a, a regular contributor to them for uh, around close to 10 years. I, uh, I think I figured it out once and I, I was in, uh, the majority of issues for 10 years, not every one, but, 
managing editor of uh, Weekly Humorist, um, which is a online humor magazine, and uh, we also have a, a sister uh, production company called Humorist Media, and I'm the writing coordinator for uh, for that. Um, and in addition to that, though, I, I still do find time to uh, to work for other humor magazines, and uh, and I've uh, oh, I've got a um, a book coming out with David Agrand, a humor book for kids through um, uh, through Workman Press um, next year. Um, and, and as far as how I got into um, humor magazines, that was one of those um, uh, one of those uh, I guess moments you're always hearing about where uh, where you just suddenly uh, see something and everything changes. For for a lot of guys, it's a uh, it's a woman across a crowded room. Uh, but for me, uh, for some reason, it was an issue of mad across a crowded drugstore when I was uh, seven years old, and and I, I felt and heard the tinkling of keys, and felt uh, this uh, odd electrical charge seep through my brain, and uh, and I, after just a moment or two of flipping through it, I I knew immediately that not only uh, did I love whatever this was, but I had suddenly and most definitively found my purpose in life. And <laughs> and so I, I immediately um, began making my own versions uh, at home and, you know, selling them to neighborhood kids. And, and that continued through high school where, uh, where I would, uh, I would by hand make my own humor magazine. I, I wasn't uh, clever enough uh, to consider making copies. I would just make one copy, <laughs> copy by hand. Uh, so I was a true Mad Magazine reader. I had the initiative to, to, to copy it, but not to be smart about it. Hmm. Uh, so I, I would just make one copy by hand and would pass it around uh, to everyone in school. And sometimes I would get it back at the end of the day. Sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes the teacher would take it up and I would get a stern talking to about how I was uh, misusing my talent <laughs> and how I should be, you know, making uh, coloring books of the Bible or something. And uh and uh, and I would get sent on my way, and then that continued up through college, um, where I would uh, I started um, a, a college humor magazine at the uh, the college I was attending, and uh, I got uh, the college behind me and got a a sponsor uh, in the art department assigned to me, and after one issue, when I went back to print up copies of the second issue, I was denied access because apparently people had been complaining about the content. Um, of the magazine and again remember I'm smack here uh, in the middle of uh, a conservative area in, in Texas oh. <laughs> uh, not always known for um, uh, its most uh, open minded sense of, of humor <laughs> so I was immediately denied access so I decided well, I'm having a really good time doing this and, and no one else was really helping me out with it anyway I, I had tried to get other people I tried to find other humor writers on campus but there didn't really seem to be any um, so I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and continue doing this magazine myself. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I found um, around the same time uh, that I was a, you know, I, I would haunt the newsstands for any kind of uh, any kind of new humor magazines. And I found a magazine uh, called Fact Sheet Five, and they mm. there was apparently a zine revolution going on at the time that, that I knew nothing about, but um, but suddenly found myself a part of. <laughs> I would uh, I would send my my magazines that I was making to this Factsheet 5 and before I knew it I had some subscribers and um, um, and then uh, Joe Bob Briggs uh, noticed 
artist of the magazine and he started using my cartoons for um for his magazine and then other zine uh publishers wanted me to do cartoons and write articles for them and i was like you know that would be a even if they're not paying me which which well, it was like joe bob was but uh <laughs> some of these smaller places what i was like even if they're not paying me i'm still saving money because i'm not having to publish my own magazine i'm just writing and drawing for these other places Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, that led me uh, back to uh, first to Craft and, and then to Mad. And then there were other, uh, you know, similar magazines along the way, like Swack. Uh, and um, there was one called Mean. There was only one issue of it that uh, Draculina Publishing did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and little things like that. Uh, Rubber Chicken uh, was um, a, a National Lampoon style hero magazine so i would just you know whenever there was any hero magazine i would do whatever i could you know barring anything that would uh, morally compromise myself uh but but to uh you know to get into the to the magazines i just kind of you know just kept plugging away hmm. very good um first question based on everything you said uh what was uh-huh. on the cover of the mad that attracted you across the hall as it were across the drugstore I believe that it was. Uh, uh, I remember my very first mad, and and you're right. That is a, a very uh, special moment for a, for a young lad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was the one where Alfred E. Newman is upside down in the um, uh, in the hallway, and it's like turned upside down in case of fire, mm-hmm. and he's upside down in the hall. Okay. Um, I believe that's the first one I, I remember buying for sure. Yeah, that sounds like about 1979 or something. 79. Like that. So yeah, so I, I about nine. Yeah, I, I remember being uh, somewhere between seven and nine when when I first had this uh, uh, cataclysmic event happen. <laughs> for me, it was a few years earlier. I guess I'm a few years older than you, but that's okay. Um, it was one of the, it was my sister pointed out to me. I've told this story before, but. Uh, the super special 14 with the Don Martin posters, and oh, I was nice. just totally intrigued by any that any human being could draw like that. <laughs> That's the perfect word for it. Intrigued <laughs> when you first see Mad, because yeah, you know, you truly have have never seen anything like it at that point, and it really does uh, just blow your mind at that point. Yeah. And I slowly started picking issues up, and then I was a regular reader by '75. So, oh sure, man, yeah, I just and, and still am if they keep publishing the silly things. So, um, and that's yeah, my next yeah, question. So thing. let's get that out of the way. What do you know now about it? I mean, granted, this will probably air in about September or October of this uh-huh. year, so things may change. But you know, how sure. do you see Mad currently? I mean, the ninth issue just came out with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then. I think 10 is the last one on the newsstands, and then they said it's all reprint? Is that what you know? Uh, the last thing that I've heard is that, yeah, that, that 10 is going to be uh, new material, but then I've uh, most recently heard that they they changed their mind again, and 11 <laughs> is going to be uh, the Mad 20. And so that'll be, uh, of course, you know, new material. I'm not sure if it's going to be Mad 20 stuff mixed in with reprints or if it's going to be an entirely new issue but i do know that it's going to have all new mad 20 material and then after that from what i know it's just going to be uh the reprints but again you know things kind of seem to be uh very malleable at this point (laughs) um we were not told a lot um we were sent an 
email and we were basically told hey guys you know that's it for mad um don't send us any more content for the magazine or for uh, you know the the facebook or the you know the the website um just um you know we'll keep you know hey thanks for the you know for all the good fun years and and that was a that was essential i mean that's you know a very much of a, a paraphrase but but it was kind of the facts without the details mm-hmm. um we didn't we weren't really told why this was happening although you know and that's and that's of course why everyone you know begins speculating oh well uh the country is too divided right now or you know they were pissing everyone off with all the trump material which of course you know people immediately start going towards which is which is ludicrous but it is very funny um and then you know of course you know well the thing about uh mag you know will magazine just start uh doing that well which is of course you know there's no point in denying that in general but mad had been doing better and was actually not doing bad for a magazine i um i heard someone speculating that and again this is speculation but i, I do think it's one that I, I tend to agree with that um with uh at&t recently kind of sucking up uh you know warner brothers and dc and and by proxy mad mm. um that for them you know those those numbers are not where where they need to be based on other um types of, of businesses like you know they're used to you know uh you know the movie's not successful unless it makes half a billion dollars right <laughs> you know regardless of how much it it, it uh, took to make it mm-hmm. um and i think that you know magazines and publishing is um it's a it's a a different size business mm-hmm. but it can be a different size business and still you know be a successful business but i think that maybe it's just being looked at with a different pair of eyes than it than it needs to be looked at in order to uh to maintain itself uh now having said that i would be uh and this isn't me saying something because i know something but i would be very surprised if at some point um mad magazine didn't get rebooted or or something because it's just um uh at this point it's it's too big of a of a name brand it's too iconic it would be like getting rid of um superman you know a few years ago when people thought that they really had killed superman and they're never gonna (laughs) kill superman that's ridiculous you know right uh but killing him does create you know a new story and create some interest in the character and yeah people run out and want to buy the supposed last issue of a Superman. So, you know, the, these are just thoughts that occur to me, and I and I think that that eventually, um, Bad will be back as a regularly published magazine in some form or fashion um, with new material. And, and again, that's that's just yeah. um, I don't know if that's me hoping, and, and <laughs> but but I, I I do feel like that it's it's too big to, to ever really go away. Right. And um, yeah, I agree with you on that, but. Uh, do you think that uh, there might have been, and of course this is totally speculation, but any sure. mi- missteps from 
moving to California from New York, uh, getting Bill Morrison on as editor may have been may have been a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. Or having like what I see is like too many editors. It used to seem to like there was Al Feldstein by himself, and then they got uh-huh. Meglin and Fakara, and then now there's like seven editors or something. It's like a little top heavy and not enough, you know you know, single point of view editorial and uh, just uh, getting the work done, you know, kind of on the cheap compared to in the past. Do you think, do you see anything like that or no? Well, I mean, I, I definitely think that, um, that it may have been a mistake to try to pull Mad out of its New York roots. Um, Excuse me. I don't see why it was necessary. Um, They were, you know, uh, doing a great job, uh, I mean, now clearly, uh, apparently, um, the the magazine did start selling more copies once it moved to Los Angeles. So I don't, uh, you know, take that for what you will. I, I'm not sure if that was the, because of the, um, improve, you know, the, uh, uh, the more of the focus on social media content was getting people in the stores. I'm not really sure um, what what happened there. But I think the magazine in New York was still doing very well. Yeah. So there was probably no need. Uh, to to you know, for the upheaval, um, I think Bill Morrison, if they were going to do it anyway, was a was a great choice. I think he's a yeah. he knows comedy. He's been involved with Mad People for years. Um, he, he personally, uh, I was doing really well with uh, the quote unquote new Mad until Bill left, and then mm-hmm. after that, they kind of uh, seemed to lose a lot of interest in me. So I I'm a very much in Bill Morrison's cheering section, right? And I and I do like uh, I did like a lot a lot of and do like a lot of the the new uh, editors. So um, mm-hmm. um, I, I wouldn't want to, uh, anyone to think that I thought poorly of them. But I do I did always think that it was sort of odd and maybe shooting themselves in the foot that they didn't get someone from who had already been at Mad to maybe be an editor. Um, Mm-hmm. Like for example, and uh, this was just something that occurred to me. Like Kenny Keel, I would have thought would have been a great choice to to be a new editor. I don't know what his personal situation is in life. If he would have been able to just you know move to Los Angeles, and he uh, but he was just one of a few people I thought who got a lot of work in the magazine. You know, clearly knew what the magazine was about, and would have been a good person to sort of steer it in a direction that would have been appropriate. Uh, considering the lineage of the magazine, yeah, um, and you know maybe and there, uh, Matt Lassen was another one that mm-hmm. I thought would have been a good editor. Not instead of these people, but maybe you know mix in a little old with a little new. It just it just sort of seemed like um, they really were kind of playing it uh, kind of dicely by by just getting a whole new group of people who were not associated with was mad at all and mad is is very much not just they almost treated it like it was a new humor magazine but right. but also while at the same time leaning on what met what made mad iconic like the old you know a refurbished version of the old logo and and you know really using um you know images you know from the magazine like throughout like on the contents pages and so on um so on one hand they were leaning heavily on the history and the iconic nature of the magazine, but at the, at the same time, they had a, a, 
bunch of a group of people who weren't really associated with Mad, and so it was just sort of like kind of an odd dichotomy. Right. I thought. Um, I, I think it was Charlie Cadu uh, who said, "Mad, the new Mad is kind of a parody of itself." You know, at this point, in a certain respect, and I, I get what he means. You know. <laughs> sure, and, and from his perspective, I can I can certainly see that as well. I um, I did think that they made quite a few interesting choices. Like I like there were a number of people who who I thought who had been in, in Mad you know previous months and suddenly were no longer in there. And I and you know really funny guys like um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, of of some of the the names that um. My um, one of my pals from from Crack who works on the Howard Stern show, and I'm totally uh, blanking on his on his name. But there were uh, quite a few people who I thought were were really funny who used to be a man. I just suddenly wasn't seeing them in the pages anymore. Right. Uh, but there were some really funny guys who I thought should have been yeah. a Mad more, and suddenly they were like Johnny Sampson. I always thought his work was fantastic, and you would see him um, on the. Um, on the website but I never saw stuff in the magazine and his stuff is, is just so great and so when it started being published in the magazine more I was like okay well that's as it should be he, he should have always um, been in, in the magazine mm-hmm. more um, so you know there's a little you know a little of this a little of that yeah I guess I was under the impression and maybe this is not totally correct that mm-hmm. on the editorial side nobody wanted to move to California um <laughs> That yeah, that as, as far as like the people who were uh, on editorial, that that was I think that maybe was it Doug Thompson moved and he was like the newest guy. He was an assistant um, art director or something like that to Ryan, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, so he was the only one that was willing to move. But yeah, that that is the case. But I still would have been surprised that they didn't because Matt always sort of tended to promote from within a lot of times, right? Um, like with Jacob Lambert and you know and so on. So I kind of thought, well, maybe they would go that route again and try to lure, you know, some of the aforementioned guys who were had been writing for years, you know, maybe try to get them on staff. And right. and that always seemed to me to be a good model. Um, and that goes back to uh, my, in addition to Mad, you know, being like a huge Lampoon fan. And that was always, seemed like that worked really well for them that you had your um, freelance staff, but you also had your editorial staff. And and the magazine was written uh, by both. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you had all everyone who was an editor at National Lampoon. You know, was also a writer or a cartoonist or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the the other thing I was going to say, and I've said this to friends, that you know, I guess they're trying to rethink the whole thing because saying either intentionally or accidentally that Matt is closing up shop was probably the best publicity Matt has had in about 30 years. So it's like... It really is, because you do, you have all these people that are saying the, um, of course, it's the same line that we always hear, oh, they're still publishing that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I hear that all the time when I'm at, um, when I'm at shows and stuff. People go, oh, I, re- I used to read this. I'm like, well, yeah. that's great. Why don't you read it now? It's still funny. Yeah. You know? um, but, it, yeah, it's, uh, but, it, but again, I, you know, I guess uh, someone... Someone is out there buying it. <laughs> well, I've always bought it. I bought, yeah. I bought it for forty-five years, and I was kind of like, "This is this is the longest running 
affair I've ever had, you know. And, <laughs> and, uh, it's ending. So, um, anniversary. Yeah, so, um, the, the, the weird part is that uh, all those years there's Mad TV and uh, that animated Mad show and everything else, that didn't seem to have any effect on the magazine sales one way or the other. It seemed like for years it was kind of declining just incrementally. Since Isn't that odd? And I, I, yeah, I remember I was uh, I, I was buying an issue of Mad years before uh, I had written for it at, at the store, and the guy who uh, was I was buying it from, it was at the bookstore, was checking me out. I was like, "Oh, this is a ma- it's a magazine too," <laughs> and uh, and that's just sort of you know I think that's sort of uh, the attitude in general, you know, mm-hmm. is that people you know knew about the TV show, but for whatever reason I, they they should have had maybe. I don't know, a commercial for the magazine? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, that's my only thing. You know, either have an ad for Mad at the end of the show or in the show or, or have occasional characters just reading the magazine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just simple. You know, simple. <laughs> you know, you know hey, what's that you're reading there? Oh, some garbage I picked up called Mad. Oh, where'd you pick it up? Over at the newsstand. Oh, okay. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, you know that type of thing. And then done. just move on back to another <laughs> sketch. You know, it's it's like... surprising that that didn't occur to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I know they did, a, like, a Mad TV special magazine way back when the show first started. But that was, like, the only thing they ever really did. And then later on, it was kind of like, you know. That's and that was it. for the readers, yeah. you know, who already knew about the TV show. <laughs> right. <laughs> they needed to go the other way. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, kind of jumping back to your career then, um... So your first, well, well oh, I, I had this question first. Um, the magazines you were publishing, would they be uh, that ended up in Fact Sheet Five? Would there be any that I would have known because I used to be in Fact Sheet Five for my oh. Harvey fanzine, Harveyville Fun oh, Times. Cool. But also, I used to check out other people's fanzines. So, what was sure. the, what were the ones that you were publishing at the time? Uh, the the one that I was doing myself, and I only did it for around a year or so before I, I just started working for other people, Zane's was was called The Chopping Block. Okay. Um, and it was very, um, a very lo-fi, uh, you know, it was, you know, typed out on a typewriter and I, you know, would take it to, you know, quick copy and they would, you know, copy it up on colored photocopy sheet and it had, you know, cartoons and stuff and it was, it was, uh, pretty, um, homemade looking. <laughs> um, I did a, um, collection of um, single panel cartoons uh, that was self-published called uh, Smarky's Night of Terror. Oh, okay. And, and I, I sold that through uh, or uh, rather I um, I got that reviewed through Fact Sheet 5. And let me see, some of the other ones I would um, in addition to Joe Bob's and I, I there was one called Lost Armadillos and Heat that I would that I worked for um, there was one called Subliminal Tattoos, which mm-hmm. at some point became like a, apparently like a big uh, controversy, um, fortunately after I left the magazine, but where it turned out the editor was up to all sorts of shenanigans that, <laughs> like he uh, like he had his Subliminal Tattoos zine, but on the side he had another zine, which is supposedly about four young people living in a house together and being... Um, sexually creative with one another and <laughs> and then it turned out that all that he was writing that whole zine himself and these people 
weren't real and he was just using the magazine as a lure for to get young women to come to his house and sleep with him hmm. <laughs> um yeah and uh and i was like holy crap i'm glad that i got out of that when i got out because he was asking me to to move to uh to the area where he lived to to be like his co-editor hmm. and i was like holy crap was i being lured you know that i almost end up uh as a black and white grainy photograph on 2020 you know <laughs> so thank god for thank god for uh, me being a goober and not wanting to <laughs> leave my parents garage you know whatever <laughs> because um that could have gotten ugly quick mm-hmm. um but you know little uh that was another one that was in fact sheet five and so it was you know just these little either humor magazines i remember there was another humor magazine called absurd and it was from canada and i I wish I could find my copy of it because they were really nice guys, but I, I don't know what ever became of them. They did one issue of it. Mm. Uh, never, you know, like one of those, you know, one issues that you just never hear from them again. Right. Um, I, I did put, kind of put a posting on the Crack Magazine page on Facebook. Hey, I'm interviewing oh, yeah. Kit, and what <laughs> should I ask about? And one of the ones, one of the questions was, ask him about uh, what was it called here? Sparky's Night oh, of Terror. Okay. So oh, you know, that's funny. so <laughs> um, what was that like? Was that like panel cartoons, or is it just uh, that was just an yeah. umbrella title? Okay. It was yeah. It was the name of the of the panel cartoon that I, uh, or it was a strip that I had on the front, and it was. Um, uh, a comic strip called Sparky's Night of Terror and it was just like a one-off it was um, basically the idea that Sparky's Night of Terror Sparky was a, a dog and there was a phone call from a mysterious stranger but he's a dog and can't answer the phone and Sparky's <laughs> Night of Terror is over and, uh, and it was you know just silly and um, and the rest of the book was, was just you know single panel cartoons and mm-hmm. and, uh, and things of that nature and oddly enough I, I uh, was kind of curious uh, a couple of years ago about what had happened to to this if, if anyone had ever found out about it and I found a listing for it in a library in like Wisconsin or something uh, <laughs> on, online and I was like well, I can't imagine how that happened but there it is you gotta reprint it <laughs> <laughs> big graphic novel here yeah. <laughs> somewhere in Czechoslovakia <laughs> It's a huge hit. Yes, <laughs> you, you you missed your calling here. <laughs> so, just, just the story of my life. <laughs> um, so, was your first professional gig outside the self-published things? Was that at Cracked, or was, did you do other things first? Uh, the first, what I would consider to be really professional, would have been um, well. I would start doing stuff for like Rubber Chicken and Joe Bob. I kind of felt like, hey, these people are paying me. I, Okay. I know who Joe Bob Briggs is. That that kind of feels like a big deal. But probably the one that where I really felt like, holy crap, I can't leave. I'm in this magazine was when I first started doing stuff for uh, like the Hustler magazine. Oh, okay. And I was like, man, this is um, big league. I'm here next to Tom Chaney and Dan <laughs> Col- Dan Collins, you know, and PC Vay and all these people who I've been idolizing for years and. Uh, Mad and you know Nash Lampoon and and so on and to see you know one of my cartoons on the same page as one of theirs you know I had to usually sit down even to think about it you know? um, so that was probably the thing where I really uh, felt like um, that I was you know getting in somewhere and I was rubbing elbows with with the stars you know. Mm-hmm. Now, did you tend to just do gag cartoons, or did you do, like, strips, or a little of both, or any just 
pro- writing prose or anything like that, or a combination of all three, or what? Yeah, it was pretty much a combination of all three. I was just kind of, I was able to do all three, and I would just kind of use whatever I needed as um, opportunities presented itself. Like if there was a, a magazine or a publisher that needed gag cartoons, I'm not the strongest artist, and I think that I, uh, just in my opinion, have done um, a lot um, a lot better since uh, accepting that fact and and uh, and working with much better artists, you know, like yeah. Scott Nichol and, and Lance Hanson and Dave DeGrand and people like this. Uh, but you know, I think I draw well enough to to get the idea across. So for a while, I was doing that, um, you know, doing both. <laughs> but but yeah, it was pretty much just well, would this work better as a strip? Can I get the idea across in a single panel? Is this going to need to be a fake uh, like a dialogue for an interview that I set up you know like just <laughs> like a, a little uh, bit of prose or a, a fake book review or a short story so it was just um, whatever the idea felt like it would be best delivered yeah. Yeah. I seem to think of you more as a writer and I kind of forgotten that you actually did occasional cartooning as well so yeah that was i mean that was pretty much years ago the the any cartooning that i do now is um like writing jokes for um other cartoonists and then but otherwise it's um it's yeah it's mostly uh prose Mm -hmm. and then um so after the joe bob experience or maybe during it i don't know how things overlapped um uh was then cracked the next gig or did you have other things that led up to that yeah, it was, but kind of mostly went, like, all of the zines led to the smaller hero magazines, like Rubber Chicken and Mean. Yeah, those I yeah. haven't really seen, but I've heard of them. But. Yeah. <laughs> I could, uh, if, uh, I have some extra uh, Rubber Chickens around here, so hey. I can, uh, <laughs> if I find them up, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to send you some. Okay. Yeah, I've heard about them a couple of times. I said I never saw those on the stands. I don't know if they sold in oddball places, but I usually got every humor magazine that came down the pike, even if I wasn't thinking it was very funny. And of course, now with only Mad, it's like, of course, I grab anything <laughs> sure. with anything with Mad on it. You know, it's like <laughs> we're we're we're, thir- we're starving, we're thirsty for for our fix over here. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a novelization of Mad Max. I'm buying it anyway. You know, whatever. <laughs> Uh, yeah it uh i I think after um after hustler humor and hustler and those the hustler magazines and cracked was the the next one because i remember thinking because i was buying it at the time Mm -hmm. um i i pretty much never stopped buying mad i I kind of stopped buying crack for a while yeah i did that for myself but then i got back by the time you were writing for it, I was buying it regularly, but that's because all the other ones went by the wayside, crazy and sick and everything. Exactly. So, and, and, I, and I discovered, and I guess I was just like flipping through magazines at the newsstand. I discovered the crack um, was being put together by uh, mostly Lampoon and Mad Guys, or former yeah. Lampoon and Mad Guys, uh, and it was being edited by Andy Simmons and Lou Silverstone. And right. of course, I knew Lou from Mad, and, and Andy, I knew from. Ash Lampoon, and I was like, well, I'm going to start buying this now, because it, you know, it, it's got, um, like, Ron Barrett, and, and all these guys, you know, PC Vay, all these guys that had been in Lampoon. Yeah. Did you just start buying it before you contributed? How'd that work? Yeah, because I was, uh, this was when I was, you know, first uh, contributing to, to other magazines, and I looked, uh, and I was mostly doing single panels, 
and I looked at, at Cracked and I was like, hey, they're using single panels now. I think mm-hmm. sporadically, but enough to, to give me uh, encouragement. And so I sent them um, like a batch of, of a dozen or so single panels and they got back to me with a rejection, but they had written on there, you know, these are not quite, you know, for us, but we like the way you think, so keep sending stuff. Oh, okay. So I sat back and looked at a lot of my stuff, and I thought, okay, what are they doing more of? You know, like they used to have maybe a single panel cartoon in each issue. It's usually by a, you know, a big shot like PCV. That's maybe not the best area to try to, you know, get your feet wet and let's see what else they're doing. And, and they seem to love doing the full page, you know, gags, um, gag strips, mm-hmm. um, like the Donald Herrick, you know, and so on would, would draw Bollinger and so on. And so I reformatted half a dozen or so of my single panel gags into, you know, like, uh, four to six panel, um, strip gags and then mm. sent in those. And then they, you know, bought like three or four right off the bat. And then that was pretty much it. And I was just off and running at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think the first issue, and I looked it up in my own book, uh, was number three nineteen. If that, if that helps anything, but it does. I do remember it had Jurassic Park on the yeah on the cover. Yeah, and uh, I assume it looked like you did had material all the way through the end of the Silverstone Simmons era. Uh, did you work for Dick Culpa too, or just uh, did you end there? I did some, but that was like uh, we could probably have an entire podcast on, <laughs> on that alone. Because, but I'll I'll try to uh, to just hit the highlights. But yeah, that was an interesting experience. Um, I was first told by Todd Jackson, you know, we would. Uh, I actually had a pretty good relationship with most of the crack guys, and I uh, spent you know like a little bit of time in the office hanging out with them, and would go out to lunch with them, and I would uh, talk on the phone with them quite often, and I would talked to, to Todd quite a bit more than anyone else and um, in one of our talks he kind of lowered the boom on me and told me what was happening but he but he said um, but he said we've been talking to this new guy and he said I've been talking to him in particular and he asked if we knew of anyone who might want to come on staff for whatever the new crack is and I you know told him about you and, and really talked you up uh, and so he's going to give you a call and I was like, man, that's awesome, dude. Thanks. Um, so Dick Culpa gave me a call and said that um, asked me if I liked crack and I cracked. Uh, he probably should have asked me if I liked crack. So that probably <laughs> would have been more helpful at that point. Uh, and, and I said, yes, I do. And he said, well, I don't. He said, I don't think it's very funny. Oh, uh, and he said, but if it if any of it is funny, I think your stuff is is the funniest of all the stuff in the magazine so I definitely want to work with you cut to me never hearing from him again uh, <laughs> and even after sending in material uh, just never hearing from it all of a sudden I would just start seeing um, cracked appear on the newsstand uh, with you know none of my material in it and, and just never heard from him again on the phone uh, through the mail through email anything I mm. uh, and I was like, okay, well, uh, I I guess I've I've been, uh, you know, uh, the one night stand. You know, I've just been <laughs> kicked kick, kick to the curb. Yeah. Um, so I I just you know decided to move on. Started working for National Lampoon, and um, 
made that kind of my my main focus um uh, working with them and didn't do anything for cracked again until um scott and martin uh took it over and probably still wouldn't have just because i kind of thought that um that dick had earned his namesake um <laughs> and uh and i know people say now oh, he seems like not a bad guy but you know that's a that's a crappy thing to do to guy you know, he, he was definitely in my opinion was a dick <laughs> mm-hmm. um but when scott and martin came on uh they were like hey you know we know what you feel about this guy uh but you know we really like your stuff would you like to uh, to contribute some and I was like hey I like you guys you guys are cool but yeah here's some stuff and then uh, I got two things in in the new crack both of them were nightmares um, <laughs> the, the first one was a piece that I wrote um, it was like uh, do's and don'ts at a rock festival oh, I remember that uh, yeah <laughs> and uh, they accepted it they had uh, I think it was Jay Chupa drew it up it was finished it was in the magazine and then Dick Culpa saw it and said this is horribly offensive and it's not funny we're not putting it in my cracked magazine so that was that it was it was pulled out at the last minute I think uh, Martin eventually used it in a, a thwack trade paperback okay that's probably where um, I've seen it because I yeah. remember that story and that was another question I was going to ask. Did you also contribute to his thwack or joke story and the other? Things? I did. Yeah, okay. I, can, yeah. I did contribute to both of those. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was um, uh, I did a, um, a shut up gag, and it was like a full page. It, instead of being three shut ups, it was like just a full page gag that led to a, a shut up. <laughs> and and uh, and Martin drew it, and um, for some reason, uh, and Martin showed. Uh, I, just as an aside, Martin showed me the original art later, and it did say, written by Kent Lively, drawn by Martin Jalad. Um And then when it got in the magazine, for some reason, Dick had changed it to uh, written and drawn by Martin Jalad. Hmm. And uh, no one knows why he did this. Um, I, have, I have some friends who had, were doing stuff for Cracked at the same time, and he would take their art and and just draw his own art over it. I don't know if he'd had a nervous breakdown at some point, or <laughs> if if maybe there were like chemical leaks, or his phone was under telephone poles, or what was going on. But he was doing a lot of wacky shit um, <laughs> at, at, at this time, uh, and so I was just like, at that, at that point, I was like, Martin Scott, I know this guy is not your responsibility, not your fault, but I think I'm out. Yeah. And and that was just it for me. I was like, yeah. this guy's, I think trying to tell me something yeah um and i did see him at a at a uh i had a table at a show where he had a a crack booth and i sat down with him a few minutes and chatted with him and he was a pleasant enough guy but i <laughs> but but sheesh uh, that his cracked tenure was, was pretty yeah. much a nightmare yeah i've heard very little positive things and I even have my own personal <laughs> stories which I I don't really oh, sure. I, I might tell you some other time but it's like <laughs> I, you know uh, you know, it was basically about trying to revive Cracked in recent times which really? I will let you know is a no-go <laughs> so it's like that, um, that sounds fascinating but you know, on, on a more positive note which I have talked about on this podcast is Mort Todd and I uh, did do a Kickstarter where we got some older uh, I mean really old Crack material in print again, you know, doing a 
Severin book and a Jack Davis book. So I have heard about that. That is yeah. fascinating. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, we're trying to work out all the details with everything, you know, and stuff like that, you know, and, you know, it's slow going, but I doubt the magazine will come back in any way, shape, or form as long as Culpa kind of claims a stake in it. I know, really, Scripps owns it because of the website, but at the same time, uh, when I was doing the books, they don't, they don't care about the old magazine. It's almost like, why did you buy this name, you know, if you don't care yeah. about the magazine at all, you know? <laughs> They could so. probably be making some money with, like, reprints. And, yeah, and uh, like I don't that. get it. But, you know, it, it's changed hands so many times since I talked to him. I don't even have a contact over there anymore, so wow. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, you mentioned National Lampoon. Well, that was kind of at the tail end of that, too, unless you worked on some of their made-for-video movies or something like that. Uh, <laughs> no, that was pretty much at, at the tail end. The, um, yeah. uh, no, I, I, uh, I did... Um, have some uh, material um, in one of the last issues of the magazine, but then it got pulled out for a liquor ad or something like that. <laughs> I was told, or an ad, an ad for some adult video tapes or something. I, um, but uh, so my stuff first officially getting getting used by them was um, uh, on the uh, on the website. Oh, okay. and then um, there were a couple of, of books that I. Uh, that I had cartoons um, oh, printed yeah. in, and then most recently, um, when um, uh, under the, when they were under the previous owners, I um, I was writing pretty heavily for the for the daily website for like the um, the past year and a half, the last year and a half of it being a thing, and then it got um, it got bought out by um, a production company who uh, just wants the name for. Uh, yet more awesome, you know, direct uh, the home feature films, and uh, the the first one of which I think is is actually for free on Amazon Prime. If anyone's morbidly curious, and that would probably be the only way to be uh, interested in this movie, would be in a morbid fashion. It's um, <laughs> called Nash Lampoon Snatched, and uh, I think it's like a ten year old movie about it's um, Andrew McCarthy, and he checks into the hospital and. They accidentally remove his penis, <laughs> um, and it's played for laughs. Which I think you could play that for laughs if, if you did it well. But I've watched like the first ten minutes of it. And it's actually horrifying and kind of sad. Um, <laughs> but I, so, I, but again, it's free. So you know, you could if you have Amazon Prime, you can, you know, and you were um, morbidly curious, you could check that out. All right. <laughs> that's, apparently, that's the first the first thing they've done. Uh, so far as let Amazon show that for free. Mm. <laughs> and I've had it for like around a year and a half. Now, when you were doing all these different magazines, did these overlap or was it, did they just consecutive in your career? Uh, there was, it was mostly a lot of overlapping. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would, um, or, uh, and if there, if it was consecutive, it was mostly like one thing would, would lead to another. And so I would still be working on, you know, one project while I was taking on a, a new one, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then by the time you got over to Mad, I mean, was all cracked and Lampoon all done at that point, or were you still? Because I, I don't know if you know Tom Richmond's story on yeah. on Mad, where they said, <laughs> "Well, you work at Cracked, 
And I go, no more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He just basically said he was done that moment. I quit. Yeah, he, said, he said, oh, when have you stopped working for crack? He said, right, right now. Right now, that's what it right, was. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which I always love that story. It's like, you know. That, no, that, was, that was definitely um, the lore that, that Matt had for sure. Yeah. Um, I crack, I think crack had, had pretty much been done by the time I got in there, I, or maybe I had just finished my, my last stuff um, for crack because I, I remember that I was um, uh, Garth at the time Garth Ennis uh, who did who did Bitterman for Matt uh, at the time he lived just a couple of down the hours a couple hours down the road from me mm-hmm. um, and we didn't hang out all the time but but we uh, like we there was a comic book show that we attended here together and we hung out and we would uh, chat online a lot. Um, then he and I was, you know, always, you know, kind of sending him whatever I was working on. And, uh, then I think he said, Hey, I'm going to show this to the guys at Matt or, or he had said, Hey, here's the email address of one of the guys at Matt. Why don't you send it to him? I don't remember exactly. That was one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I sold my first thing to Matt. Uh, they're out of that uh, first submission, um, and then couldn't sell anything to them again for like two years, mm. um, and then sold them one other thing, uh, and uh, they held on to that for like another two years. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I was like, well, this is. I mean, I was like, first of all, it's awesome that I'm in math, but this is going nowhere fast. And then um, I noticed that Scott Nickel. Uh, I just started doing stuff for Matt, and I've been a big fan of his um, his uh, single panels. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the kind of guy that stands in a greeting card aisle at at, at um, CVS and laughs at the greeting cards, you know. And, and he had uh, he had done a lot of gag cartoons for for greeting cards, um, and so I was really happy to see him in the magazine. And I was like, well, one of the cool things about doing stuff for Matt, even if you've only had one thing published by them, which at this time I had, was that you can say I've been in Mad, and it's a great icebreaker for other cartoonists who um, whose work you really appreciate and that you're fans of, and you, so that way you don't have to just go, "Hi, I'm going to bother you now." You can say, <laughs> uh, "Hi, I'm I'm a, someone up for Mad as well." Um, so that's what I did, and uh, and it turned out that he and I were both had interest outside of humor like you know horror movies and stuff and so we were uh, we would talk about horror movies and then I uh, mailed him um, the uh, the first uh, self-published uh, version of Damn It I Swallowed Another One <laughs> and then with a couple of other self-published um, cartoon collections I had and that uh, he was very complimentary about them and said hey can we collaborate together um, and send ideas to Matt and I said well I guess we can <laughs> uh, I was like even if we don't sell anything it, uh, it's just in my head it's awesome that I'm collaborating with, with Scott Nickel mm-hmm. um, but we did uh, very well together um, and then um, we're fortunate enough to uh, sell them on an idea for you know, a comic strip uh, that, you know, that they wanted to use you know, somewhat regularly and that, and that just kind of worked. And then the more Mad liked Scott and I together, uh, it seems like the, that led to them liking me uh, 
as well so that I could sell them, you know, other ideas and ideas that they could assign to other artists. And so it was just a, turned out to be a, a great match. Mm-hmm. Now, contributing to Mad and Cracked and everything, uh, everybody probably has the dream to do it, but not necessarily the ability to do it. But if someone was, like yourself as a writer, predominantly was contributing something to Mad, if assuming it's continuing, uh, how does one go about it? I mean, is there a format or anything, or are they just looking for funny? You know, and they don't really care how it's really formatted. Um, oh, he means like as far as getting ideas over to them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you sketch yours out or do you just type it out on a sheet of paper? How do you, what's your general way of doing it? It just depends. Um, like for a lot, like for stuff that, um, like when Scott and I were doing, uh, Jeff or when we were doing, um, single panels, um, I would always send the idea to Scott first and he would sketch them up and then we would send those to Mad uh, with the idea pretty much fully fleshed out but you know still in sketch form and then they would make any suggestions or changes that they had and then Scott would do a, a finish and and that would be that um, but as far as like other things um, like if like with the um, um, the comics that turned into like a full page by like Tom Bunker or Gaffey or something like that I would just send in a sketch of a full page gag and uh, you know just hope for the best and then if they liked it they would assign it to whatever artist um, and the same with um, like a list or uh, just an idea for an article um, with something that doesn't that you assume at some point might have art added to it but you're not sure what that would involve because you're just kind of focusing on the the prose portion I would just send them the concept and then a few examples of it and if they you know like a few jokes and if they liked it hmm. they would say okay we we need ten more uh, lines you know that are as funny as this and and then we'll you know we'll probably go with it <laughs> Because, you know, I've submitted things, not, you know, got excessively over the years, but, you know, just sure. certain things. But uh, I'm, I'm like you. I feel I can draw, but uh, I'm not like a top artist. So, you know, I just kind of sketch things out and write it down like it's a semi-finished thing. And I've always, anytime I've contributed, I've always enclosed a little letter saying... Uh, if you want to get somebody else to draw it, I'm fine with that. You know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I always say that too. And, yeah. And I and I think I do think that they, uh, but they appreciate that and they consider that you know that that's something they notice. Like, hey, you know, this might not be yeah. art that we're going to use, but we appreciate the fact that someone you know that we can kind of see what they're, they they like to see what the person's talking about. And I think sometimes it it can help. Yeah. Uh, get get something in for sure. But I think in my case on contributions, it was uh, so infrequent, and I usually got the form letter back that said "not in the mad vein," which never really made sense to me. <laughs> I always wondered about that too, um, because I've heard that before. And <coughs> but what's interesting is I, I even though I never. Because I got a few rejections like that too, and I always yeah. thought, well, why is it not in the mad vein? Yeah. But, but 
same time, there is definitely like a mad style of humor. Yeah. But it, but it's just odd when you're like, well, this that's exactly why I sent this to you because I thought it was in the mad yeah. style of style yeah. of humor. Yeah. So. <laughs> so exactly what that is, I yeah. think, can sometimes slightly vary from person to person. True. And then yeah. I always claim, even though Mad said otherwise, that I did get something published in Mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was, uh, you had that, uh, that cover, right? Yes, and, yeah. uh, you know, I always had that claim that I did the Seinfeld cover where they had Alfred E. Newman saying, hello, Newman. And that's, I, that's awesome. I faxed it in, and uh, after that they said, we don't accept fax contributions. And that kind of ruffled my feathers for a while. You know, it's like I just... Really? More than being paid, I wanted to just have acknowledgement that hey, okay, you know, it's like yeah, you know, you know, like even if they said we we're not going to pay you, but I'll put your name that you, do, they wouldn't even do that. And I was like, geez, guys, come on, you know. So I was kind of, mad, kind of left a bad taste in my mouth for a while. I'm kind of over it now, sort of. <laughs> Wow, so it's well, only been 25 years. Yeah. Well, so so what happened? So they just you didn't get credit for it? I didn't get credit for it. The cover came out uh, is drawn by Mort Drucker, which I knew I wouldn't. You know, I I sent it in with a sketch, and again, I'd say have somebody else draw it. And I I even was kind of self-deprecating when I sent it in. I said, I know you already did a Seinfeld parody, but you know, I think this might make a good cover. And, yeah. I, and it was a year later that it appeared on the cover. I had totally forgotten about it, but I. Really I remember I faxed it in at my job, and uh, then I got a letter back uh, from their legal team when I questioned. It, it didn't say a writer credit. It only said artist Mort Drucker. It didn't say a writer credit at all. And uh, somebody, some lawyer person from Mad said, well, you know, it's like, uh, you know, we get ideas all the time. You know, it's like, you know, come on. You know. Wow. Yeah. No, I hadn't heard that. Because it was drawn, my little... Uh, drawing. The only difference between what I drew and what Drucker drew is I put uh, Alfred in a postman's uniform, figuring you know it's like well Newman was a postman and you know sure. they, they and they just changed it you know big deal. But it was the same pose, same drawing, same. <laughs> and, wow, I had no idea. Yeah, you know, and and then shortly after I complained about it, Mad started putting we don't accept faxed sub, faxed submissions, and it's like. You would do that. You know, it's like I don't understand the point other than to to say, well, you know, that's where the disconnect was. We accepted it by fax. So ever since I've always sent in things by mail, but like I said, I get the rejection saying, Oh, it's not in the mad vein and then, and then yeah, you know, when I was doing the cracked books I got friendly with everybody, and I interviewed Sam sure. you know, and everybody like that. Viviano, sorry. And uh and I said, does it help to know somebody on the MAD staff, hint, 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 to get published in MAD? <laughs> and he actually told me, no, actually, it, it hurts. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, because, you know, I thought, well, you know, if I interviewed Sam, you know, I was like, you know. And other people, I interviewed Jaffe, and I interviewed Davis, and other people that had worked for MAD over the years for that book. And so I thought, oh, you know. Uh, strangely enough, and you may or may not know this, uh, the one that turned me down, who actually did work at Cracked, was John, was John Ficar. <laughs> oh, to be interviewed, really? Yeah, and huh. you know, it's like, come on, you know, it's like, you know, so I don't know the deal, you know, it's like he, he I mean, he turned me down politely. He just said, no, I, I don't really have the time to to interview or anything like that, and it's like. 
I think he didn't want to admit that he'd ever worked for Cracked. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I mean, I, I do know that, that there was kind of a, a, a feeling that you didn't want to mention it if you didn't have to. Yeah. Sort of thing. Um, yeah. You kind of figured that if that maybe they knew or maybe they didn't, but there was probably no point um, in bringing it up because I think that for whatever reason there it was kind of a maybe con- I don't know if it was considered a sore spot I, I honestly don't know yeah, but it was one of those things know. where you were where you were kind of told you know eh, I probably don't need to bring it up <laughs> and and then when Morrison took over I'm good friends with Bill Morrison and so I said hey maybe I should contribute and just because my life's a little more busy and hectic I just never got around to it and then it's about the time I was really seriously going to do it put something together he's no longer the editor and I'm like what <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm still not sure what happened there. There's a lot, kind of a cloud of mystery around. And I, I, I haven't asked him directly. I haven't really talked to him since that happened. I, I figured, you know, if it was something that either he wasn't supposed to talk about or if he felt bad about it, but he seems to be in good spirits. You know, I just haven't really talked to him since, you know. But, uh, you know, one of these days I'll ask him. Maybe I'll get him on the podcast and say, all right, spill the beans here. What happened? What really happened? <laughs> I was really sad to see him because, like I said, I, he was really uh, buying a fair amount of me from uh, from the for the magazine and yeah. for the website. And also, I always um, heard back from him. Yeah. You know? I mean, he, and... Um, and again, no no offense to anyone, but sometimes you didn't always hear back from from people um, quickly or if at all. Yeah. Uh, uh, most recently, and, and that was always um, kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I thought, like you said, I thought the numbers did start to pick up after Morrison took over, but you know, I, this is speculation on my part. Maybe it wasn't to the levels they expected it to jump back up and it's like well you, know, you gotta do more than just change an editor you know it's like like I said I think the promotion uh, the, the saying the mad was being cancelled was the best promotion you've done in 30 years over there so you know and also you need to have realistic expectations yeah. of what a magazine is, is yeah. gonna sell these days but that doesn't mean that you know, having magazines and books and stuff isn't, you know, important to do. And no one wants to lose money on anything, but I don't think anyone was losing money. Right. And, you know, and if they expected it to go back up to 1973, 1974 levels, it's like, well, it's not going to. You know, no, that's not where we are now. You know, <laughs> if they would have had the internet back in 73, it wouldn't have been that way then as well. Yeah. So, I don't know, but uh, uh, I, I just hope it continues in some fashion, you know, it's just as uh, frustrating. Um, yeah, I, I would be really surprised if it didn't, but again, I'm, I was totally floored that they would even consider stopping stop pub, you know, stopping publishing the magazine. To me, that seemed like so beyond the pale that when I heard that, I, I felt like, you know, uh, there was a, a prank afoot, you know, yeah. or something. Now, would you know anything about this? Um, uh, like, when when this happened, I, I like to buy Mad off the newsstand. I have no problem doing that. I just have been that way. But when they said it wasn't going to be carried anymore, I said, all right, I'll subscribe. So my subscription has started. But I also found out uh, that Australian Mad still goes well, and I subscribe to that. I haven't got an issue from them yet, but... Uh, 
do you know anything about the foreign editions of Matt or anything like that that would affect them in any way, shape, or form, even if uh, uh, the U.S. one kind of shutters the doors a little bit? <laughs> I haven't really been um, involved with the, the format for a while. I used to be fairly yeah. involved. I, um, I used to contribute original stuff, and this was uh, Scott and I for the most part, um, to the Australian and the, the German Mad um, uh-huh. for um, but then uh, Australian Mad um, they while they're still publishing they they uh, decided to stop um, I think to stop using original content from outside of Australia hmm. I don't know if they just said that to us to get us to leave them alone <laughs> uh, or not um, and Scott and I were actually uh, doing some fun stuff for Australian Mad we were we were doing um uh, we would do like two and three page spreads, which uh, were similar in style to, uh, or format, I guess I should say, to something like maybe a Sergio mm-hmm. thing, but it, but it wasn't like pantomime or anything. It was just, you know, um, three or four pages of, of various gags and single panels on a single subject, usually a movie. Um, so we do like the Hunger Games or whatever, whatever superhero, teenager, Somebody on Facebook asked that about you know, your contributions to German Mad uh, too. Yeah, that so, was great. You know. Those, uh, they were great guys and um, easy to work with. And now, how'd that come about? Did you just happen to get an address or something? Or yeah. that was one of those things where we, where Scott and I, while we were um, getting a fair amount of stuff into American Mad, we were also um, getting uh, even more rejection. We were getting a lot of stuff rejected and it was stuff that you know that we would it would pile up and we'd look at it later and say you know what I still say this is this is really funny and this um, could be published somewhere and of course you know there really aren't as many humor magazines you know as there used to be of course and we didn't want to just put it online for free so Mm -hmm. one of us and I don't remember which one was said hey you know there's these other foreign 
uh, Mads, and again, it was using Mad as a as a foot in the door where um, I was able to get. Um, we we were somehow, and I don't remember how, able to find email addresses of uh, the people at these various foreign. I think maybe we contacted some of uh, the other writers and, and cartoonists who who worked for them, and were given their their email information. And we would just say, hey. Uh, you know, we're Scott and Kit from Mad. We do WTF Jeff and other things. Um, could we show you some of our work for you know for you for you guys magazine? And and they would uh, say, yeah, sure, that's cool. And and then that was pretty much it. We would send stuff into them, and they would pick what they liked, and mm-hmm. just uh, turned it into a regular gig for a while. And and you didn't have to translate anything. You just send it in English. Like, exactly. Yeah, we would just yeah. send it as is, and then. And then they would translate it. Now, did anything ever appear later in American Mad after that? Or no. In, in fact, the, American, <laughs> the guys at American Mad, if they noticed it, they never acknowledged it. Oh, okay. And and we never told them yeah. uh, that we were doing it. And I don't think that uh, I don't know that we were supposed to. But we were just like, eh, you know. I mean, if they ask, we'll say, yeah, we're doing this, but. Yeah. Didn't really see the need to. Well, you weren't alone because I've seen Sergio at various shows, and he used to draw various covers for German Mad, but didn't really? make it in the U.S. Yeah, I have a couple of them I bought from him, and he signed. Um, cool. A lot of them, you know, I don't know if you remember this on German Mad. I'm sure you've seen covers. It's like Bart Simpson was on the cover more often than Alfred. You know, it's like the Simpsons <laughs> were huge, and so there's covers that I think one of them that I remember well that uh, Sergio drew was uh, uh, Bart Simpson's wedding or something, or you know, and it was like a dream sequence cover, you know, and it's like, uh, I go, that never appeared here, you know, it's like, so I bought it, you know, and, I, I, and that was the reason why he had copies, because it had material that didn't appear in the regular Mad, you know. And I even asked him, it's like, do you think this will ever appear in the U.S. Mad? And he says, oh, probably not. <laughs> it's like, but he didn't seem yeah. to care. It's like, it, it's sold, and, you know, it's like, it's like, but if you're like a completist and want all of Sergio's Mad appearances, well, you have to go to the, get the German Mads. You, know? you, so, you just found a new, yeah, a, a new quest, I yeah. guess. And, um, and I, I, the thing that always tickled me about um, German Mad was how... Gosh, I remember some of the covers, and they were very realistically drawn. You know, were almost sexually explicit. You know, like yeah. had naked breasts. And then inside the magazine, there were uh, actually you know cartoons of, of people having you know fairly accurate you know sexual intercourse. <laughs> uh, and I was always like, wow, this, you know, so interesting. The uh, I don't know. This is this is you know I'm, I'm not saying something that that we don't all realize anyway. But just the the difference in attitudes toward you know, certain things is so interesting, and it and it's so so reflected. You know, in a publication like that. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned you did some for the Australia Mad. Did you have any regular character like a zombie dog down there, or just random articles? No, yeah, I, think, I would say that the closest thing we had to like a recurring feature would be that we were the guys who did the um, the uh, you know the the uh, spoofs, not the movie spoofs, but the you know the the couple of page gags about whatever movie was popular mm-hmm. out right now and i'd always wanted to do something like that so that was that was a lot of fun for me to come up with you know half a dozen jokes about you know the new spider-man movie or the iron man movie or whatever 
Yeah. Scott drama. Mm-hmm. And he is he is this is Scott Nickel you're talking about right because I right, think yes. okay you mentioned Scott earlier but I think you're ta- referring to Scott Gosser for cracked oh as far as yeah when he was uh yeah the one of the ones who yeah I just want to make sure just yeah, for clarity yeah. for anybody listening they go Scott 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 is the same guy oh yeah, yeah good point okay good point, because yeah. you mentioned Martin Jalad but anyway <laughs> so uh, gotcha. just clarifying that um, but. Sure, uh, sure. So at this point, um, well, actually, did you collaborate with any other people besides Scott Nickel on on things, or did you just just start turning in things for yourself? Um, in addition to doing the stuff for myself, I um, I did start um, uh, doing stuff with with uh, with David DeGrand. I um, he and I did some single panels, and and we actually did quite a few. Um, when uh, political cartoons for uh, the Mad Facebook page, and I wrote, I think, an episode or two of his Patience Man um, <laughs> comic strip. Um, so we would um, uh, do stuff uh, for Mad together, and we also would uh, wrote several stories for SpongeBob comics together, and, uh, and now we're uh, we're working on. Um, on the humor book for kids together, so we, so he and I still still work together quite a bit. That's cool. Okay, all right, and uh, I guess you'll continue doing that or popping up somewhere. If Mad goes away. Hopefully, it doesn't go completely away. But uh, do you have I'm any new keep... projects underway in case the worst happens? <laughs> it, it, that's uh, and I had kind of already uh, when when we heard what was going on with Mad, I had kind of already thought, well, if this is it. Uh, not with for Matt in general, but just for me specifically. I was like, if this is it, I've had a good run because I was um, I was not. They were just like I said. They just both over the past few months, they were just not getting back to me. Mm. Um, as soon as as soon as Bill Morrison left, uh, they they pretty much stopped using my stuff on the Facebook page. They stopped mm. getting back to me about stuff for the magazine. So I and I. I could never really get an answer i, I even sent him a couple of was like hey guys are we cool is <laughs> you know is, is there something going on that you know i did i you know vomit at the company party and i forgot you know, something <laughs> um but uh never just never heard anything back so i was like okay well i had a good run i'm gonna see what else i can find my what i can get up to and then you know we heard we had the announcement um <laughs> so i'd already sort of started um lining some stuff up um I really feel, uh, in addition to the, um, the, the the book that David and I are working on, I re- uh, I'm feeling pretty good about the weekly humorous stuff. Um, we've mm-hmm. um, we've been getting a, a good deal of publicity. Um, we're ending up ending up on a lot of those lists that um, you know, cure the five you know humor websites you should be reading that kind of thing, and getting some good word of mouth from that. And um, uh, we've got a, a book line that we're um, releasing the first title uh, next month uh, called From the Campaign Trial or, or Thereabouts. It's a, a novel about uh, the, um, uh, you know, the, the campaign trial during uh, Trump's first uh, go of the election. It's a, a fictional comedy novel. Um, and then we'll have a, a collection of the, the best of Weekly Humor's uh, first year and we got a, a just a few books along those lines that are uh, that are uh, in, in various stages of development, and we're talking to um, um, you know possible you know, TV people about some stuff. So uh, 
I think things are, are looking good uh, for Weekly Humor. So between that and the book, um, uh, anything else uh, that, that comes along, I, I can probably juggle. I, I write for some other humor websites as well, and I and I try to get stuff into American Bystander. Oh, yeah. of humor magazines, um, yeah. I'm sure that one is on your on your radar. Yes, I was going to ask about that too, and I hadn't asked, but I, um, I, I just got the 11th issue. I haven't really looked through it, so I don't know if you have anything in it, but I'll have to uh, take a look. <laughs> I, I, I don't, but I just got it myself, and it's... Uh, it's probably a better issue issue for it for uh, for having to avoid my blade once again. Um, but I, I I do try to get in as, as often as I can because it's such a, a murderer throw of yeah uh, of you know big. I mean just the fact that it's you know uh, editor in chief or head writer Brian McConaughey. I like you know that, again that's one of those things that I'm uh, like I you know I can't believe you know I'm even you know in the same on the same planet as that guy. I guess uh, none of us really are on the same planet as him. I know he's yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's, yeah, it's, I, so when I don't get into American Bystander, it's kind of like, well, I also wasn't on stage with the original cast of Star Not Live, you know? Right. You know I, right. I, it's kind of hard to complain, you know, if, if I've even managed to, to crack in there, you know, once or twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, Personal appearances? Anything now between now and the end of the year, twenty nineteen? Um, not that I know of. We, okay. uh, I, I'll admit that uh, I've kind of pulled back from shows a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think it's because those um, those Mad About Dallas shows <laughs> that we did were were so awesome that when they stopped doing those, I was kind of like, and it's you know, it's not going to be this you know and i and i <laughs> i did do a couple of shows after them and it was just you know me sitting there all day and i was like wow this i, I think that i was mad about dallas shows ruined me because it would it would be like um uh, tom richmond and tom bunk and david DeGrand and peter cooper and scott and lance and all all of us sitting around all day just uh, you know, cracking jokes and yelling at each other from across the room and making <laughs> each other laugh, and then, and then going out that night and sitting around and people staring at us as we were laughing and making each other. Laugh. It, was, it was just always like the the best, most fun weekend. And I, I, I can't imagine a a convention being more fun than that. Um, but oh, but I will say that I really did like the NCS, uh, the National Cartoonist Society, is starting to um, do a thing where when they have their yearly get-togethers, they mm-hmm. usually set up some sort of signing for whatever uh, city they happen to be in that year because it moves around from city to city. And a few years ago, they had a, a signing in Portland, and that was a lot of fun because um, I I usually don't get to meet uh, people that know my stuff from Mad, and there were people there, you know, that were that had copies of Mad with WTF Jeff in it that they wanted signed and stuff, and I don't really get to see that a lot, so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> All right. So anything like that, I'd be happy to do. But it, I just uh, otherwise, I just kind of pulled back from it a little bit. My wife has started to, started to get really irritated with them, um, <laughs> and, and she was starting to refuse to go to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means I'm sitting there at the table by myself, and I'm uh, very bashful. Yeah, and I and, and she's not. You know, she's an Italian redheaded woman, so uh, <laughs> so she just takes over everything within a, a you know a ten foot circumference of of her of her being. Mm-hmm. She pretty much uh, 
uh, owns as soon as she sees it. So she she's able to talk to people and say, hey, you know, to make change and sell my books and stuff. While I just kind of sit there and hide under the table. Um, <laughs> So if she's not coming, that means I'm just uh, sitting there miserable all day, um, right. with no one, with no one to uh, to defend me if need if need be. Right, and I know how that is. There's been <laughs> plenty of time where I'm sitting alone at a table, and so I don't do a lot of shows either. And then other times, you, you know, you, you luck out. You either have other people at the table with you or next to you that you can converse with. I get it. So uh, yeah, it's fun in theory. And I remember being a kid when I was like. I know this is what I'm going to do when I grow up, and so <laughs> I guess this will be a part of it. Wow, well, won't it be cool to be on the other side of the table? Yeah. And, it, and it was for a while. Yeah. And then after a while, you're like, yeah, but I'm, a lot of times I'm sitting here for yeah. uh, eight hours and maybe three people, you know, come yeah. up to me, and, and two of those guys just wanted to to talk about different Green Lanterns for an hour, <laughs> you know, which is, which is, I could probably talk about Green Lantern for ten minutes. I like Green Lantern just fine, but I... <laughs> I can't, I can't manage two and a half hours. You know, right. I just don't have. I don't have the material. Well, that's our next podcast. It's all. Uh, is that right? <laughs> that's, that's a good one. <laughs> anyway, um, well, the only reason I was asking about personal appearance is I saw you, the picture of you sitting at a table on Facebook, and you have uh-huh. the, the display out. So I thought, oh, that's probably one thing you do. Well, yeah, you did in the past, apparently. So. I was I was so uh, thrilled that someone had bothered, because I didn't make that banner. Some guy mm-hmm. that I was at the show had made that banner, and I, I couldn't believe it. And and I was, uh, I was so thrilled that someone would go to that trouble mm-hmm. um, that I... Um, that I made a picture of me sitting in front of it because uh, I just couldn't believe that anyone would, would care enough to do that. <laughs> All right. Well, we're kind of wrapping up here, but the last uh, last question I have is just uh, how do people get in contact with you or, or want to buy things from you or, or just say hi? What would be the oh, sure. website or anything? Yeah, and I, and I, I love it uh, uh, when people uh, want to chat about uh, cartoons or humor or whatever. That's always cool. Uh, because again, my wife is tired of talking about it, so uh, so I, I need to, to work it out some way. Um, I would say, um, you know, uh, the uh, the old social media tropes. You know, feel free to hit me up on on Facebook, and if um, if not there, that'll have other links to other ways to get a hold of me. And um, and also, I do have a um, like a, a Kit Lively, a weekly humorist. Uh, dot com and you can go to weekly humorous and that has um links to you know that uh, for for me and just all the other uh people and we've got a lot of great people who work for weekly humorous it's a lot of people who um who have either been at the lampoon or mad over the years a lot of lampoon and mad guys and uh mm-hmm. a lot of guys from like conan or letterman and mm-hmm. snl and places like that all right very good all right. Uh, well, I thank you very much. And, yeah, it's uh, been fun. Anything else you want to say before we go? <laughs> I don't think so. I think that uh, I, I think I probably chewed your ear off here. Uh, Ouch! So I, I, I think I got it out. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I, I appreciate talk talking with you, and uh, you know, hopefully, I'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, and, I sure hope so. It's uh, been a lot of fun, Mark. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Kit Lively, for being my special guest. Episode number 43 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions.
If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2019 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much and have a good night. of your loot.